Welcome to another episode of the Powers on Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Powers, down here in Tampa, Florida. In tonight's episode, we are going to talk some March Madness. We are down to the Final Four. We're going to talk some Sweet 16 and Elite Eight games. It was a tremendous weekend worth of games, both in the Sweet 16 and the Elite Eight. We're going to talk Zion Williamson. We're going to talk a couple coaching hires. We're going to do a quick review of the, again, Sweet 16 and Elite Eight. We're going to talk a little NFL draft. We're three weeks away from the draft up in Nashville. We're also going to talk of the end of the AAF Football League. Kind of a surprise ending to the league. We're also going to talk a little Major League Baseball opening week. Lots of things going on around the diamond. And we'll give you a quick little preview of the Major League season as we head in, finish up the first week of games. But let's first get to March Madness. How is your bracket looking? Mine's not looking too hot. When you have Duke getting beat, Carolina getting beat, Gonzaga getting beat, Kentucky getting beat. So a lot of blown up brackets. We had, again, round one and round two of the tournament were pretty chalky. Not a lot of upsets. Not much of a Cinderella story going on. You had a couple Cinderella teams. Oregon, you had, um, you know. Wofford was kind of a little bit of a Cinderella team, but not 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 too many. Those those guys, uh, Oregon made the Sweet Sweet Sixteen. They were the one kind of the dark horse, low seed that made the Sweet Sixteen. Though a lot of people thought Oregon was going to make a little run in the tournament after their tremendous uh, Pac-12 tournament, where they won the tournament to get into the NCAA. But a lot of people thought they were a team. They were playing very well, hot, maybe a little underseeded as a 12 seed. And, they did reach the Sweet 16 and played a very good game in the Sweet 16, but were eliminated. No Michigan. No, you know, lots of heavyweights out. But the Elite Eight. First of all, let's do, let's do a quick recap of the Sweet 16. Probably the game of the tournament was Tennessee and Purdue. Purdue got bailed out by the officials late in the game on a very suspect foul on on the three-point shooter on Carson Edwards, who was shooting a three with about 1.5 seconds left. Tennessee was up three. Purdue inbounded the ball out of bounds on the baseline, threw it to the corner to Carson Edwards, who went up for the tying three. A very loose call by the official. A bailout call sends Carson to the line. He makes two of three. They go to overtime and end up knocking out Tennessee. A great game, great finish. Uh, feel, feel bad for the Tennessee team because they really, I think they got a bad whistle there. And uh, Purdue survived and advanced. Carson Edwards was tremendous in the Sweet 16. He was tremendous in the second round. And he was tremendous again in the final eight. They played a classic game in the final eight versus Virginia. Carson Edwards just making shot after shot after shot. Scores 42 points in the Elite Eight game. 
Virginia making their own shots, timely shots. Kyle Guy with five three-pointers in the second half. And then you had the miracle finish for Virginia. Virginia down two with about five seconds to go. Missed the second, misses a second free throw. The ball's tapped out way past half court. Back to the Virginia's, basically their three-point line. The point guard runs the ball down, under control, poised. Throws about a 40-foot one-handed pass to Diakite, the Virginia big man, who all in one motion makes the catch and and delivers about a 15-foot jumper at the horn, at the gun to send the game to overtime and an incredible finish. And Virginia went on to eliminate Purdue in overtime to advance to their first Final Four since the 1980s back when Olden Polonese was the big man in the middle for the Wahoos. Just a tremendous Elite Eight game. That was the second game on Saturday. The first game on Saturday pitted Gonzaga and Texas Tech out in the West region. You had Texas Tech, who just totally destroyed Michigan on the defensive end of the court. Uh... Played tremendous in the Sweet 16. Gonzaga was in a very good game against Florida State in the Sweet 16. They exacted some revenge from the 2018 tournament when Florida State knocked Gonzaga out. Gonzaga exacted revenge in the Sweet 16. And they played in the first Elite Eight of the of the weekend on Saturday. They played a tremendous game. Gonzaga-Texas Tech went right down to the wire. Again, defense was the mantra in the second half for Texas Tech. Texas Tech has been known as a defensive team all year long. Chris Beard, they've got a couple of transfers. They've got Jared Culver, who is a going to be a, a high lottery pick in the NBA draft. Really shut down Gonzaga in the second half and went down to the last, again, 10, 12 seconds of the game. Gonzaga was down two points with about 12 seconds to go. Josh Perkins reaches across the baseline and knocks the ball out of the uh, out of the Texas Tech uh, guy's hands, trying to inbound it. Technical foul is called, which is the right call. Texas Tech goes to the line, makes their free throws, and ends Gonzaga's run for another Final Four. Just another tough ending to the Gonzaga season. So many times in the last 10 years, they've been a 1, 2, or 3 seed and have just not been able to get to the Final Four other than two years ago when they made the championship game. But again, tremendous game. Mark Few, great coach. I feel bad for the Gonzaga kids because I really thought they had a, they had the team that could win the win it all. They had a very good balance of guards, forwards, you know, scoring. They were pretty good on the defensive end. But Texas Tech, the Red Raiders, first ever Final Four appearance coming out of the West region. Again, very, very strong defensive team. They're a little bit limited on offense. They like to milk the clock, use the shot clock. So it's going to be interesting to see how they play in the Final Four. But congratulations to Texas Tech making their first ever Final Four appearance coming out of the West region. And again, you had Virginia beating Purdue in overtime, uh, coming out of the, I believe they were in the South region. Sunday, 
pitted the Auburn Tiger in the Midwest region, pitted the Auburn Tigers and the Kentucky Wildcats. Auburn with a tremendous three-point barrage of the North Carolina Tar Heels. Everybody thought that was going to be a track meet, which it was. But Auburn in the second half was just incredible. The only uh, disparaging moment of that game was the was the gruesome, not gruesome, but tragic injury for Chuma Okule, the Auburn kind of power forward center. He was destroying North Carolina inside and out. was on the, was a rebounding force. Had about 20, 20 something points before he got injured in a non contact injury, driving to the lane, tore his ACL. Uh, but Bruce Pearl wills his team. Chuck Barkley back in the CBS studio going crazy over Kenny Smith's Tar Heels. But Charles Bar- the, the Auburn Tigers advanced to the Final Eight where they matched up with the Kentucky Wildcats who took out Houston in a very grinded out, rugged game in the Sweet 16 on Friday night. Um Third time they've played this year, Kentucky had beaten Auburn twice previously, two points at Auburn, and then they blew Auburn out in Lexington. That had been the last game that Auburn had lost in mid-February. Auburn's on an 11-game winning streak since, won the last four, won four in the SEC tournament, and obviously they were in this matchup going to the Final Eight. Again, two teams that knew each other very well, Auburn relying on their guards, their quickness, the three-point shot. Kentucky, much more of a rugged, interior-laden team. Not a very good shooting team on offense. P.J. Washington returning from his foot injury. Played limited minutes against Houston, but he played a pretty full load against Auburn. Game goes down to the wire. Auburn has a chance to win it late on the last shot of regulation. No good. They go to overtime. And the Auburn Tigers... Again, Jared Harper, Bryce Brown, and the crew advance to their first ever Final Four. Bruce Pearl, you know, lots of lots of talk about Bruce Pearl. What to think of Bruce Pearl? You know, from an X's and O's perspective, nobody can question the coach he is and the kind of the chemistry he's developed with his team, his, the emotion he shows. I think the guys love playing for him. There's no doubt about that. He's been very successful. On the court at UW-Milwaukee, he took them to the Sweet 16. He had a nice run at Tennessee, and now he's had a tremendous Final Four run at Auburn. The one thing about Bruce Pearl, though, is he's had some several off-the-court incidents while he's been a head coach. He kind of got he kind of squealed on somebody when he was an assistant back in his Big Ten assistant coaching days. He got in trouble at Tennessee a little bit, which kind of caused the end of the end of the road for him. And obviously, he he was he was he's been very much involved in this FBI wiretapping situation while he's been at Auburn. Chuck Person, the assistant coach for Auburn, the former Auburn legend, who was an assistant for Pearl, just pleaded guilty to basically paying off people in order to get players to come to Auburn. Somehow, Bruce Pearl escapes all that, kept his job. There was a lot of dispute last year whether he was going to keep his job or not. Bruce Pearl kept his job. Again, nobody can question Bruce Pearl's X's and O's. Tremendous coach, excellent strategist. But you have to ask the questions, and I'm very and I'm kind of disappointed in CBS. 
Not many questions have been asked of Bruce Pearl concerning these FBI allegations, at least publicly. Um, I would hope during this Final Four week that when CBS has access to Bruce Pearl, that those questions do get asked. They should be asked. Um, you know, I like Bruce Pearl, but I didn't like, you know, you know, he was basically crying on cue on Sunday when he was when they were talking about Chuma Okule and his injury. You know, he was he was all giddy and happy, happy, and all of a sudden the the the, the sideline reporter asked him about Chuma, and all of a sudden he turns into Mister uh, an Academy Award winner and just starts bawling his eyes out talking about Chuma. And I get it; he has an emotional attachment to the guy, and I get that. But it looked very staged and it looked very contrived. Uh, the tears on the interview and all that stuff. So it'll be interesting to see how Bruce Pearl handles all this during the week and to see if uh, the media is very uh, inquisitive with Bruce during these press conferences concerning some of these allegations. Because uh, make no mistake, lots of allegations, LSU involved, Auburn involved, you know, several coaches around the country have been sentenced to go to jail, Chuck Person included from Auburn. So, uh, you know, very interesting to see how that's going to go. But congratulations to the Auburn Tigers making their first ever Final Four appearance. And in the other in the other Elite Eight game, we had Duke, Michigan State. All the talk was pre, pre once the bracket was 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 divulged by the NCAA was what is Michigan State doing in the same bracket as Duke? Duke was the number one overall seed. Many people thought Michigan State should have been a one seed, but they weren't. They were a two. Well, they were apparently the number one of the two seeds. They were the best two seed on the board, yet they get pitted with the number one overall seed in the tournament. A lot of people didn't think that was right, and I agree with them. It, it, it's just as much of a disadvantage to Duke as it is to Michigan State. But both teams held serve. Duke wins another classic squeaker, nail-biter, whatever you want to call it. In the Sweet 16, they get by Virginia Tech after they escaped Central Florida on the tip-in that somehow rolled out. UCF, Aubrey Dawkins, Johnny Dawkins, and the crew, the Knights, take the Blue Devils to the limit in the round two. And then Buzz Williams and the Hokies of Virginia Tech go, go head-to-head with the Dukies in the Sweet 16. Again, another tremendous game right down to the wire. Virginia Tech down two with about two seconds to go. They throw a beautiful lob pass on an inbounds play. And the Virginia Tech uh, small forward basically missed a bunny. Uncontested uh, would have been a putback on, on the on the, uh, on the lob. Wasn't able to, to deliver. And Zion, Cam Reddish, Barrett, and the fellas escaped the Sweet 16. A lot of controversy about Cam Reddish. Cam Reddish did not play in the Sweet 16. Apparently he had some knee tendonitis, blah, blah, blah. The coaching staff seemed to be shocked by that. I have a feeling it may not come out until later, but something probably happened from internally with the team, discipline. Something, something happened internally, I think, that caused Cam Reddish not to play in the Sweet 16. Cam Reddish comes off the bench in the in the final eight game when he's been a starter the whole year. Again, that's to me that's a little fishy as well. Um, Duke Zion R.J. Barrett up against Tom Izzo in the Elite Eight. Again, a classic matchup. 
Shashevsky's 11-1 going into this game versus Izzo, which is hard to believe. Veteran team in Michigan State versus the youngsters. Basically a two-person, two uh, two-man scoring parade with Duke with R.J. Barrett and Zion. Very little production from their, from their secondary players, though they did get a good game from Delorier, the center, on Sunday. He played very, very well. But Michigan State... Cassius Winston, the floor general, the All-American, Kenny Goins, Nick Ward, McQuaid. Again, very veteran team that's been through the wars of the Big Ten. Very good squad, but Cassius Winston is definitely the, the, the was the was the catalyst for Michigan State. Every time they needed a big play, whether it was an assist, a made shot, control the tempo. Michigan State. Fouls R.J. Barrett, under five seconds left in the game. Duke is down two. Barrett goes to the line for two free throws. Misses the first one. Tries to miss the second free throw down two, because that was the play you had to miss the second one. Tries to miss the free throw, and it somehow falls in after it rolls around the rim. Makes the second free throw. Duke is nowhere near the penalty, so they're having to try to foul just to get to the bonus with under five seconds. On the second attempted foul, they throw the ball uncontested down the court. Michigan State, Winston's able to run the clock out. And the Spartans advance to Minneapolis, 68-67 over the Blue Devils. Is the Duke season a failure? The other question in this, in this game is, if you're Coach K, how do you not get Zion Williamson a touch in the last two or three possessions of the game where he's the guy taking the shot? I know R.J. Barrett's a good player. But Zion Williamson had 20, 24, 25 points in this Michigan State game. He's the best player. You have to give him a touch and have him run. You have to run a set and some action in order to get him the ball and at least let him make the decision whether you pass or shoot. He's shown the, 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 uh, the ability to pass out of the double team because you know Michigan State was going to double team anytime Zion got the ball late in the game. But you have to put the ball in Zion's hands to give him an opportunity to make a play. Coach K did not do that. Barrett takes the shot, gets fouled, misses the free throws, and the Spartans advance to Minneapolis. So our final four is set. Virginia, Auburn in the first game on Saturday night, 6 o'clock, CBS. And in the nightcap, you're going to have Texas Tech, Michigan State. Again, brackets blown up, I'm sure, for most people. Though I will say I did have in one of my brackets Michigan State, Virginia final with Virginia winning. And if that happens, I'll win a couple dollars. You know, I invest probably 75 bucks in a couple of brackets. I did like three or four brackets, three brackets, I think. And I had Mich I do have Virginia, Michigan State in one of them, so I'm actually in pretty decent shape. So I got an opportunity to win win some of my couple dollars in my in one of my pools that I'm in. So, but not a lot of people had those four teams. A few people probably had Texas Tech coming out of the West, but I, I can't envision many people at all having Auburn. Um, most people had some combination of Duke, Gonzaga, Carolina, uh, maybe Virginia getting in. But congratulations to the four teams. Again, we had a tremendous weekend. This might have been, I think, in my lifetime, just the competitiveness of these of the Elite Eight games. 
I think it's the best Elite Eight round of games in the last probably 20 years minimum. You know, again, you had two overtime games in the Elite Eight. You had a one-point game in the Elite Eight. In the one game that was Texas Tech beat Gonzaga, that wasn't decided until the last 10 seconds. So four tremendous games. Um, You have some – you don't have a lot of star power in the Final Four. That's the one thing you don't have. You have a lot of gritty teams – a lot of experienced teams, not a lot of star power, which, you know, the the casual fan wants to see Zion Williams. The casual fan wants to see North Carolina, Kentucky, Duke. Um, but you have teams. You have very quality teams. Happy for Tony Bennett. All the grief he took last year after going down in round one as a, as a one seed to UMBC. Um, again, very happy for Tony. Uh, again, very happy for Chris Beard at Texas Tech. He's resurrected that program. Tom Izzo's eighth Final Four appearance. Incredible to think that he's been to eight Final Fours. Um, not one of not his best team he's ever had, but again, very tough, tough-minded. Not the most skilled teams, but I'm gonna in the in the Final Four matchups. You have again Virginia Auburn. I'm going to give a slight edge to Virginia. I think the defensive effort for Virginia is going to be just enough. I don't think it's going to be a high-scoring game. Virginia's going to try to minimize the possessions. Auburn's going to try to be up-tempo, run and gun, shoot threes. Um, They're going to rely on their guards, Bryce Brown, Jared Harper, and they're going to hope that their guards can break down the Virginia guards. you got Ty Jerome, Kyle Guy, DeAndre Hunter. Uh, I like Virginia's inside players, Diakite, you got Salt, you got DeAndre Hunter. So it's going to be interesting to see how Auburn handles their inter- the interior of Virginia, and it's going to be interesting to see how Virginia handles the, the guard play for Auburn because those guards are terrific. Again, Jared Harper, Bryce Brown are, are shooter. They're, they're shooters. They're, they can drive to the hole and finish. Uh, I'm going to give Virginia the slight edge. I'm going to say Virginia wins a tight game to advance to the to Monday night, the national championship. And in the other matchup, you got Texas Tech, Michigan State. Again, you have uh, defense, defensive effort out of Texas Tech. You have a lot of no-name guys. You do have a big-time player in Jarrett Culver. You have Moretti, who's the point guard. You also have Mooney, who's a transfer, and just a lot of guys we haven't we, most of the country haven't heard of. And for Michigan State, the engine behind that team is definitely Cassius Winston. So the key is going to be you got to keep Cassius Winston out of foul trouble. You got to keep him on the court. And it, who is going to be able to control the boards is going to be a, the major key in this game, I believe. Both teams are rough and t- rugged on the offensive and defensive glass. Uh, you have a couple good shooters for Michigan State Kenny Goins, Matt McQuaid. Again, I'm going to give the slight edge to Michigan State with their experience with Winston at the point. Uh, again, I would not shock me if this game goes right down to the wire as well. Um, you know, if you look at this Final Four, I think any of the four teams could win it all. I would say Auburn probably has the least amount of opportunity to win it all, but it wouldn't shock me if Virginia or Texas Tech or Michigan State won, won it all uh, come Monday night. So I'm going to go Virginia-Michigan State final on Monday night. And I'm going to go Tony Bennett and the Wahoos from Charlottesville going to get it done and cut down the nets in Minneapolis on Monday night. That's, you heard it here, Virginia beats Michigan State 
66-61, Monday night, CBS. Let's talk a little couple. Let's talk about the coaching vacancy that's kind of made it's brought up some interest with me. The UCLA job. Reports were that UCLA made a fairly strong offer to John Calipari to be the coach, somewhere in the range of six years and fifty million dollars. And then Kentucky turns right around and signs John Calipari to a lifetime contract at Kentucky. Not sure what that means, but obviously it means he's going to be getting paid a lot of money for a long time, somewhere in the nine nine million dollar range from what from what what the reports are. And obviously, it sounds like he has a job with Kentucky after he retires. Does that mean Calipari will never leave Kentucky? I'm not so sure about that, but to squelch any rumors of him going to UCLA, they signed him to the, to the lifetime contract. It puts UCLA in a tough spot. If you're UCLA. Do you wait and make a strong offer for a guy like Chris Beard from Texas Tech or maybe even a Tony Bennett? Guys that are excellent coaches. You know, the the, 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 the knock on UCLA is that the alumni try to get in the way a little bit and that the, you know, the issues are not necessarily about X's and O's, but it's more about the, the glitz and glamour of Westwood, Wooden, Hollywood, all that stuff. If you're UCLA, you need to get a – X's and O's coach, you're going to be able to get players to UCLA. The recruiting bed and the recruiting uh, uh, hotbed out in California um, is year after year after year. Having players has typically not been UCLA's problem. It's been the coaching of players. Um, it would not shock me if UCLA makes a serious run here after, this, after Saturday to Chris Beard and or Tony Bennett. Some of the names being bandied around are Jamie Dixon from TCU and Mick Cronin from Cincinnati. To me, if if, if it was down to those two, I'd probably I'd probably go Mick Cronin. But um, you know, to me, none of those names are super sexy. But I think if you got a Chris Beard, maybe or even a Tony Bennett. Remember, Bennett has some ties to the Pac-12. He coached at Washington State prior to going to Virginia. Um, you know. It'll be interesting to see what happens there. I know Tony Bennett is an East Coast guy. Met, you know, played for the Charlotte Hornets in the NBA. So I know he has some East Coast Midwest roots. But be interesting to see who ends up with that UCLA job. I think that's a job that could turn around pretty quick if you get the right coach. Uh, so that, again, it's been very interesting how that job's been pretty quiet for a couple weeks now, and and what what direction they're going to go here. I would imagine UCLA will have a coach probably within three days after the Final Four, probably by mid next mid next week, probably Wednesday of after the Final Four. You'll probably have a new coach out in Westwood, so it'll be interesting to see which way they go. So, Final Four NIT is coming to a, a wrapping up. Lipscomb is in the finals of the NIT. A pretty uh, interesting story there with Lipscomb. Um, I know the NIT is not what nearly what it ever used to be, what, what it used to be, but that's a pretty neat story that Lipscomb is going to play in the finals of the NIT on Thursday night in Madison Square Garden, and they are going to face the winner of, I'll get you an update here in just one second, either Texas Tech or Texas, and it looks like Texas has advanced, so it looks like it's going to be a Texas-Lipscomb NIT final on Thursday night in Madison Square Garden. So that'll be uh, 
you know, if you're a college basketball junkie, that'll be a good game to watch because you got the little guy in Lipscomb from the Atlantic Sun going up against the powerhouse in Texas, Shaka Smart. So um, good for Lipscomb. Happy for them. Little school. Uh, and other coaching news, Rick, Rick Burr, the coach of Belmont, been around for 33 years at Belmont. He retired. So um, it'll be interesting. These the, the coaching carousel will begin here in the next this next week, and there'll be a surprise or two on the on the coaching front. So it'll be interesting to see where the surprises come from, uh, and who which coaches leave which jobs to do to do their thing. Nate Oates, the Buffalo coach, was named the coach at Alabama. Kind of a, a they moved pretty quickly on on Nate Oates following the departure of Avery Johnson. And once Buffalo got eliminated in the second round of the tournament, so the silly season of college coaching carousel will begin. Uh, we'll, we'll wrap up here pretty quick in the next few days. So, all right. So let's go to the world of football. Some big news: the AAF, the Alliance of American Football, the big spring league. If any of you been have been watching, I don't know. They're in week eight. There have been rumblings for the last couple of weeks that they were having financial problems. The owner of the Carolina Hurricanes from the NHL kind of came in with a, a kind of a, uh, a rescue payment, of investment of uh, up to up to $250 million. And the AAF, after week eight of a 10-week season, have suspended operations. Kind of this was a breaking story today and yesterday on Monday and Tuesday. Um Again, very interested to see what the what the major issue was. It sounded like they were obviously they were underfinanced, and 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 I guess the the sponsorship and they had several TV deals. They had CBS, they had TNT, and they had the NFL Network involved. I don't know what the the financial arrangement was that w- w- related to that was, but the AAF has suspended all operations. So. Coach Spurrier and the Orlando Apollos were the number one were the number one seeds through through week eight. Coach Spurrier is claiming that he's a he's a he's a he's a champion, kind of like UCF used to do in Orlando. Kind of a fitting thing that he's coaching the Orlando Apollos with Central Florida being in Orlando, claiming they're national champions. So Coach Spurrier is going to claim that he's the AAF champion. It will be interesting to see how this affects, if it affects it anything at all, the XFL. The XFL is set to debut next spring in the spring of 2020. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that works. I guess the number one pending issue with the AAF was the AAF wanted to partner with the NFL to allow the NFL Players Association to allow kind of the bottom of the roster guys on these NFL teams to be able to play in the AAF. The guys that were either practice squad players and or bottom of the roster uh, players to get experience, reps, that kind of stuff in the spring league leading into, you know, the summer training camps and all that stuff. So, uh, you know, the, the issue I could, I could see between the AAF and the NFL Players Association would be probably from a injury perspective of who is responsible for payments if a guy gets injured, if he's under contract in the NFL but he's loaned out to the AAF. Who handles all those kind of legal things, liability type things, especially related to injury and career-ending injuries and things like that? Um, from what I've read, 
The AF was getting a so-so TV rating. They seemed to be pretty consistent. Uh, not a great rating, but a consistent rating each week. You know, uh, and again, I'm, I'm 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 a little surprised that they did not you know finish up the season. They only had two more weeks left of the regular season, and then they were going to play a quick small uh, four-team playoff, which would have taken another two weeks. So they must have basically, I won't say run out of money, but must have been really financially strapped. And the owner that uh, the Carolina Hurricanes owner just made the decision to pull the plug. He was kind of the, the financier of the league with the infusion of capital about a month ago. So no longer will the AAF be in operation again. Bill Polian, Charlie Ebersol were kind of the, the, the cohorts of the, of the AAF and uh, really thought it was going to have an opportunity to at least make it a year. But no more AAF. NFL draft three weeks away. Nashville, Tennessee, three weeks from... Thursday, I believe the draft is on the 25th. Uh, starts on the 25th with the first round, and then the second round, and second and third round on Friday, and then rounds four through seven on Saturday. This is the lying season. You're going to see reports galore these next two weeks from teams who they're interested in, who they're not, who they like, who they don't like. You know, all this stuff. All these teams are doing nothing but putting propaganda out there, reports, especially these teams that are in the top half of the first round that are jockeying for position, whether they want to trade up to get a guy, especially on the quarterback front. You still have all the rumors and all the speculation that's, you know, that Arizona's going to take Kyler Murray with the first pick, thus looking to trade Josh Rosen. You're hearing more and more reports about teams doing more doing their research on Josh Rosen. To see what they can, what what they're going to have to give up for him. If I'm Arizona, you better get a first round draft pick for Josh Rosen if you're going to take Kyler Murray in the, with the first pick. Um, and to me, he'd be worth a first round pick. He's he's under contract for at least three more years. He's he's uh, very affordable from a from a contractual perspective. He's got a year of experience. I know he didn't play great last year, but he has a year of experience. I think a team like the Redskins, who desperately need a quarterback, are going to be in the market. A team like the Dolphins, potentially. A team like the Giants. And a team like even the New England Patriots, late in the first round, might be the, the kind of team. If they, if they, I don't, I don't think the Patriots are going to be able to get Josh Rosen for the 32nd pick in the draft. I think the Redskins or somebody's going to give up a, a mid to late first round draft pick for him. Uh, if, if, Arizona decides to draft Kyler Murray. Oakland seems to have a lot of interest in Kyler Murray as well. You know, they're the fourth pick in the draft. They've got three first-round draft picks. Don't be shocked if the Oakland Raiders package a couple of their first-round picks to move from four to one with Arizona. If they did that, obviously Arizona would then keep Josh Rosen, but Arizona could fleece could could really have it if they fall in love with Kyler Murray. They've made a lot of offseason free agent signings all on the offensive side of the ball. Antonio Brown trade. They've signed a couple of other. They've signed a couple of other guys receiver wise. They've uh, you know they're, they're really trying to upgrade the offense and the defense in Oakland as they play their last year in Oakland before they head to Vegas. It would not shock me if they packaged at least two of their first-round draft picks to move from four to one and pick Kyler Murray. And if you're Arizona, you probably have to seriously consider that unless you really think he is a, you know, 
game-changing, franchise-changing quarterback. If you're uh, Cliff Kingsbury, I know he, he, he he's from that air raid system, so Kyler Murray might be the guy. If you do that, if you're Oakland, then obviously Derek Carr is going to be on the market, and you'll have some suitors for Derek Carr. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with Derek Carr. You know, Gruden's been saying all offseason that Derek Carr is this guy, and he loves him, he loves him, he loves him. But, again, are the Raiders just posturing, spending some time on Kyler Murray, knowing they're not going to take him, or there is there serious interest in taking Kyler Murray if Oakland can trade from four to one? And the other question is, who's going to trade up to get Dwayne Haskins? You know, if everything holds true to form, then the Giant he would fall to the he'll probably fall to the Giants at number six. But I don't think that's going to happen. I think somebody would trade up in front of uh, the Giants at number six, possibly to Tampa Bay at five or the Jets at three to try to get Dwayne Haskins. Again, a team like the Redskins, a team like Miami, a team like even the Giants. Might move up from six to three to try to get Dwayne Haskins. This is a very deep draft when it comes to defensive linemen. Uh, you have lots of defensive linemen, high, highly rated defensive linemen that will go in the top half of the first round. Nick Bosa, Ed Oliver. You've got Quinnen Williams. you got the linebacker out of Kentucky. Uh, Josh Allen it's a big-time player. you got Montez Sweet from Mississippi State. Um, very, very deep at the at the defensive line position, uh, and even linebacker. You got Devin White, who's projected to be a very high pick, and then obviously you have your couple quarterbacks. You're gonna have Haskins, and you're gonna have Kyler Murray going the top, probably ten, probably five or six at the latest, and then you're gonna have uh, potentially Drew Locke and Daniel Jones going at some point in the first round. Um, so that's kind of your NFL. Uh, Draft update as we are three weeks away. Again, you're going to see a lot of speculation and reports and all this kind of stuff coming out of different teams these next couple of weeks. The reports to believers when you start hearing reports a day or two before the draft, when those things start leaking out, that more more times than not tend to be the things that typically happen. Again, Schefter, Mortensen, you know, Jay Glazer, those guys are uh, very good on the NFL front as far as getting intel from these teams. Uh, Todd McShay, you're going to see a lot of Todd McShay and Mel Kuyper in the next couple of weeks. Um, so be on the lookout. Draft coverage, always a fun couple days if you're an NFL geek like I am. I love watching the draft, just watching these guys get picked and all the all the strategy that goes into do you trade up, do you trade down, do you take best player available, do you take a position of need. All the different strategies that these different franchises take and how every franchise has their own way of doing things, rating players, you know, all that good stuff. So, fun next couple of weeks. All right, last thing we're going to talk about, Major League Baseball had their opening, their true opening day a a couple days ago. Everybody's playing now. You've got, uh, you know. The Bryce Harper move to from uh, Washington to Philly. You've got, you know, the stacked American League. You got the Astros, the Yankees, and the Red Sox, who are the clear-cut favorites in the American League. All three of those teams have gotten off to a slow start. The Yankees and the Red Sox really slow starts. The Yankees are being besieged by injuries. They lose. They've lost four. They've got four or five of their starting players not playing. Miguel Andahar. Uh, their number one pitcher, Severino's out. 
You got Giancarlo Stanton on the injured list. A couple of other guys. Didi Gregorius is out for a while. Reconstructive knee surgery. You got the Red Sox who are uh, who are uh, starting off slowly as well. Um, again, a couple teams to watch. The Rays, the Tampa Rays, Tampa Bay Rays and here in my neck of the woods. Under the radar team. Made a couple of quality signings in the offseason. Charlie Morton. Again, they develop players, pitchers, lots and lots of pitchers that they develop from their farm system. They do a tremendous job developing pitchers and keeping those pitchers, keeping an affordable payroll. They have just enough offense to be scary. They're not tremendous on offense, but they get just enough because they've got excellent starting pitching and their bullpen is very good as well. So that's a team to keep an eye on in the, in the uh, American League is the, are the Rays. Again, you have... Houston, you got the Yankees, the Red Sox. Uh, in the Central, you got basically it's going to be a, probably a battle between Minnesota and Cleveland. Uh, Lindor's hurt for Cleveland for a while. He hurt his ankle right before the season started, so he's going to be out probably a couple more weeks. Uh, you got Minnesota with a new manager. They've revamped their, their, their roster a little bit. So, But the clear-cut favorites in the American League are going to be Houston, New York, and Boston. I don't like to judge teams until they've probably played 30 or 40 games. You know, you got you got several teams that are projected to be really bad this year. But, again, let's let them play 30 or 40 games before we start making declarations about everybody. Um, but, you know, from all indications, those three teams are the powerhouses in the American League. In the National League, a little more wide open. Probably the, the National League East is probably the most competitive division where you have the Mets, the Braves, the Phillies and the Nationals, all four of those teams have a legitimate claim that they could win that division. Um, you know, obviously you have Harper going to the Phillies. They they also traded for Real Muto. They signed. Uh, they traded for Jean uh, Gene Segura. Uh, they also have Robertson in the bullpen. You got the Mets with um, Cindergar. They just re-signed Jacob Degrom. A pretty um, an improved ball club there. You got the Braves. Coming off their great uh, division-winning season last year, they just re-signed their uh, superstar youngster Ronald Acuna today to an eight-year, $100 million contract. And then obviously you have the Nationals with you know, Scherzer, Strasburg, and those guys in Washington. How are they going to play? How are they going to you know perform without Bryce Harper in the middle of that order? Uh, all that stuff. Is Dave Martinez the right guy to be the manager of that team? He, he took a lot of heat last year for his managerial uh, lack of managerial skills and in-game management. So will the Nationals make a move at some point during the year if they get off to a slow start? Same with the Mets. Will they make a managerial move if they get off to a slow start? Mickey Callaway, uh, not highly regarded from, the, from a managerial perspective, more of a pitching coach. So it'll be very interesting to see. National League Central, you got a very competitive division with the Cubs, the Cardinals, uh, the Pirates, um, all projected to be pretty good this year. The Milwaukee Brewers are really good. Again, a lot of heat on Joe Madden. A lot of people think this might be his last year in Chicago, which is crazy to me. Guy's a tremendous manager. Um, he would be out of a job in less than one day if he ever got fired by the Cubs, and I, I just have a I don't understand why the Cubs, Cubs would even consider firing him. But 
And out west, you have the Dodgers, who are probably going to be your overwhelming favorite in the AL West. Uh, the Padres with the Manny Machado signing. They got Fernando Tatis, brought him up, and are, he's playing every day now. Uh, the Rockies are going to be should be fairly competitive, and then you got the Giants, who are supposed to be pretty pitiful, and the and the Diamondbacks are supposed to be pretty bad. So, um, the should be the Dodgers division to win out there. Uh, predictions in the a in the National League. I'm going to predict Dodgers win the West. I'm going to predict the Cubs win the Central, and I'm going to predict that the Atlanta Braves win the NL East once again with the Phillies as a wild card, and I'm also going to have the Milwaukee Brewers as a wild card. So, should be a very interesting major league season just getting started. They will be in the swing of playing every day now. One other trend that you've noticed, if you've been paying attention to Major League Baseball in the last several days, week and a half or so, there's been a lot of long-term extensions being signed. These players are less and less liking having to go to free agency. This last winter, you had Machado and Harper waiting in almost February to get signed. These players, these younger players, are signing these uh, extensions at a much younger age. Again, Ronald Acuna signed today. Jacob DeGrom got a big extension last week from the Mets. Um, you know, there's lots of different guys throughout the throughout the league or, or the younger players especially are signing extensions. Obviously, you had Mike Trout foregoing uh, free agency to re-sign with the, with the Angels for $400 million, $430. So, a lot, the trend is, is definitely going to, if you like where you're at, as long as it's a fairly fair offer, these players are doing the smart thing, in my opinion, by re-signing these long contracts. They're guaranteed; it's guaranteed money. You're financially secure for the rest of your life, and most of the time, you still will have an opportunity to sign another contract. Most of these contracts are five and six years. You got the Acuna contracts, eight years, because he, but he's only 21 years old, so he's going to be another free agent at 29, which he could he could potentially break the bank, and he's going to be a top five player in the, in the major leagues within the next couple years. And he's already a high-impact um, player. So more and more guys are signing for good for them. They should uh, they should do that. Uh, the owners are controlling their costs a little bit better. You're not having to, to you know, pay the, 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 the years of the 10-year contracts being handed out for, you know, eight-year contracts for pitchers are over. You're not going to see teams be giving these pitchers seven and eight year contracts, or, or the many many of these position players seven or eight year contracts, unless they're 21, 22 years old. So, uh, all right. So definitely check us out. Tell a friend about the Powers on Sports podcast. I'm your host, Jason Powers. Reach out to us on social media at on Twitter at Kick the FB, Kick the FB football, but shortened to FB. Uh, Let me know what you think. Tell a friend about our podcast. Take a listen. Subscribe. We're on iTunes. We're on Stitcher. Um, So tell a friend. Love to have. We're gonna have a couple. We're gonna have a couple special guests here in the next couple weeks. Couple of legendary coaches from the Tampa Bay area. I'm going to talk to one on the baseball front and one on the football front. We're gonna talk to a couple of legendary high school coaches here in the Bay Area. Talk about their careers. Talking about Millennials nowadays, coaching millennials, how coaching has changed over the last handful of years, 
and just have a have a good good chat. So thanks for listening. Have a great week. Final four weekend. You got the women's final four is in Tampa this weekend. You have some heavyweights, Oregon, Connecticut, Notre Dame, Baylor. We'll all be invading the Tampa Bay area this Friday and Sunday for the women's final four. Big event. Hockey playoffs are starting in about a week. You got the NBA regular season wrapping up. No LeBron James. Can he deliver a free agent to Los Angeles this offseason or can the the Lakers facilitate the trade for Anthony Davis? And can the New York Knicks reel in Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, potentially win the lottery to get Zion Williamson? That'll That'll be some interesting... Uh, chatter here in the next few weeks once the regular season's over and the playoffs will be getting going. The playoffs are wide open in the West and the East. Some competitive teams. I think you got Golden State, Houston. Uh, that can that can Denver is going to be a threat in my opinion, and the East is going to be wide open with the top four seeds. Philly, Milwaukee, Boston, Toronto are going to be the four favorites in the East. Who's going to win the MVP? Giannis, James Harden. It's going to be very, very close. I just don't know. To me, this would be the year. If you're ever going to have a co-MVP, this would be the year to do it with with Giannis and James Harden. But I do think if the, if it's not a if it's not a tie, I think Giannis will win a very, very close close race for the MVP. So have a great week. Stay safe, and we'll catch you next time on the Powers on Sports podcast.